Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because I've been walking around with zero bitches. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording, as always, at Thickness Central. We've arrived at episode five of season three, and on this episode, we're doubling up again so we can get to a point that we're back on track, and there's probably going to be at least one more oversized episode of the show before we get back to regular weekly goodness. As always, we start with the city shoutouts, and this time, we're taking it global. We're going to start in the USA, say hi to our friends in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Thank you so much for coming back and checking out the show. What's up to the new listeners in Sittingbourne, UK? Appreciate you checking out the show. Lauren Skog, Norway, thank you for coming and checking out the show. Hopefully you're enjoying yourselves. Sydney, Australia, welcome back to the show. Love to see you here, as well as Dublin, Ireland. I just love seeing these repeat cities. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. You don't know what it does for us here. Vancouver, Canada. What a great time for you to jump in and check out the show. Thank you so much. And finally, Barcelona, Spain. Love having you back, checking out the stack. Thanks to everyone for listening. Coming back, friends. And now we're going to hop over to Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah. Mike's Thickometer. So thick this week, I call it Thick Nulty. This week clocks in at a 10 out of 10. Substantial thickness, baby. It's so thick. That you just you just take it to the face and a knock out that kind of thing. So good. This week features 23 books and has a Marvel edge. So this week we're gonna go ahead and shake it up and start with the DC books, starting with Batgirls number seven. The Batgirls team up with Seer and Nightwing. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Seer has been taken to the Iceberg Lounge and held hostage there. As the Batgirls monitor their insider prisoner, they put their plan in place to move forward. Steph and Cass wait outside the lounge on the roof as Babs and Dick infiltrate the lounge as elites. Pros to this issue are the art style and the multi-layered story that's taking place here. I didn't expect Babs to become the central character so quickly, but I love it since she has no solo title currently. Cons are that I still don't know how to feel about Seer. Am I supposed to like her? Because I, I don't really. Now we have a look at Batman Superman World's Finest number 4. Clark and Bruce combine while Dick and Kara bring critical information. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The Devil Neza is in control of Green Lantern who is fighting Batman and Superman. As Supergirl and Robin attempt to return to their time, they get separated in the time stream. In a desperate moment, Batman and Superman combine with the assistance of the Green Lantern ring and become one entity as they go after Devil Neza and his possessed forces. They grab Devil Neza and they take him into orbit where Kara shows up and finishes the fight and relays the info that she and Robin learned. Pros are the art and the ridiculous story that allowed the art to do crazy things. I wasn't fully in on this story before, but I am now. Cons are Robin's fate in relation to the story. We know he survives, but there's no reason to pretend like he's dead. Next up, we have Batman the Night number 6 of 10, it's Bruce versus Anton. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. 
Anton and Bruce seek out Luca Jungo based on Oblonsky's recommendation. Bruce and Anton learn about marksmanship starting with archery, where Bruce surprises them and shoots a duck down and makes them dinner. There, they learn why Jungo doesn't work as a killer anymore. After returning from a hunt, Jungo holds Anton at gunpoint, accusing him of being a killer, and naturally, Bruce defends his friend. He shoots Jungo in his hand to disarm him, and then Anton murders him in cold blood. The two former friends start to duke it out. Anton bests Bruce, but can't bring himself to kill him, so he leaves him in the snow. Bruce wakes up heartbroken yet again. Pros are the pacing and style of story this creative team tells together. It's gorgeous and gripping all the way through. Cons are that there are only a few issues left, and it seems like he's just being set up against an old friend. It's almost a little basic if it weren't being told so masterfully. Next up, we have a look at Dark Crisis, Young Justice number one of six. Tim, Bart, and Connor go missing. I gave this a 2.75 out of 5. Young Justice gathers at the memorial statues of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and suddenly, Tim, Bart, and Connor go missing. Cassie notices and investigates, and gets blown off a little too easily, and a lot, by the world's heroes. It seems out of place for some of the heroes she talks to, despite trying to fill the void left by the Justice League. Meanwhile, the boys all come into a place that isn't where they recently were with people who aren't around anymore. They determine that they're in the past and are attempting to help the person who sent out a distress call. They go up against the mighty endowed and get on the ropes when that time period's Cassie shows up as our Cassie is distraught over her friends being missing and not knowing what happened to them. Pros are that I love a time travel slash displacement story. I also love that Robin, no matter what, is interested in helping who he can and when he can. Cons are that if someone goes missing right after the Justice League dies, wouldn't people be a little more concerned? It's just a little weird to me. Now we move on to Flash number 783, a Dark Crisis tie-in. I gave this a 2.5 out of 5. A collective of speedsters led by Wally try to find Barry who is missing. Irie and Jai run ahead, trying to be heroes themselves, and the mission is now to rescue three people. Mr. Terrific realizes that Linda has speed powers, as the kids crash down through a portal that they ran into and are found by a Flash-Batman hybrid. Max and Jesse find a Mad Max-style Barry Allen. Finally, Wally and Wallace find a version of Barry seemingly living his dream life. Pros are that finally putting the Barry mystery to bed could be super fun, and I'm excited by it. Cons are that no one considered that speedster children weren't going to do something insanely stupid and dangerous. At least they're with a Batman, so they'll at least get deputized immediately. Now we have a look at Future State, Gotham number 14, a bunch of dudes going by Batman. I gave this a 2 out of 5. Damien shows up as Batman 666 and is seemingly tricked by Hush, dressed as Bruce, who convinces Damien to take a more aggressive, brutal approach. Meanwhile, Jace and Jason continue to work together. Dick and Babs work together, but now Dick is going by Batman, as he's being fueled by Brain, which leads to a direct fight with Jace. Bruce and Talia show up in Gotham searching for Damien, but Hush obviously finds him first. In the second story, we get a Batman 666 story, which is indicative of how he became so unhinged while in hell. There are some pops of color here on this story. Pros are the art. It does so much cool stuff with just inks and pencils. It's one of the few reasons I keep getting this book, but then this issue had pops of color in the backup story, and it gave me that black, white, and blood vibe, 
that I like so much. Cons are that there are too many Batman in this book for me to continue to enjoy myself. Hopefully it'll calm down soon. Still thinking this book might end up being a cut candidate in the near future. I Am Batman number 10 is next, where Jace and Chubb deal with Man Ray. I gave this a 3 out of 5. Batman and Chubb try to protect the mayor who is being accused of being dirty. Man Ray makes his move on the mayor, killing plenty of guards along the way. Batman shows up just in time and squares up with Man Ray. Mid-fight, as Batman is getting backup, Man Ray explodes a series of cars to prevent him from getting help. Man Ray is stopped, and then DeSante shows up and threatens to kill Man Ray before Chubb shoots him. Pros are the pressure to catch a killer, making things more tense for the heroes, especially since he's going after the mayor. Cons are the corrupt cop at angle. I feel like we got away from Gotham, and it's an opportunity to tell a different kind of story. A department not prepared for this type of criminal makes more sense than going straight back to corruption. Unless you're saying all cops are corrupt, in which case, have fun with that. Now we have a look at Nightwing number 93, Dick goes on the offensive after last issue's events. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Heartless offers to buy Bloodhaven from Blockbuster. Blockbuster tries to hurt him and gets stopped before he throws a desk and Heartless out of his window. Nightwing, meanwhile, is cleaning up the mess made on Alfred's statue when the police show up and start firing. He escapes and meets Babs in Gotham, but gets a call from Melinda saying that he's needed back in Haven. Cops are shaking down the residents of Haven, and the commissioner makes a veiled threat at Dick, who responds by leaking the video of Haven being attacked by undercover cops in front of the media. We learn that Heartless's name is Gerald, and that he's actually part machine at the very least. Pros are Dick outmaneuvering the corruption in the city. Bruno's art is impeccable as always. Cons are the same basic police corruption again. It's two books in a row. But in this instance, at least they seem like worst people as a whole, so it's not really that big of a hit. Plus, Bloodhaven is known for corruption. Now we have a look at Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 12. Bendix and Jay both get exposed. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. John is doing Superman things when he hears the alert from his mom's watch. Batman sets things up to keep the Kents safe from the attacker, but it turns out just to be Crypto. John shows up and they discuss the fact that Lex is metaphorically in bed with Bendix. So they send their best asset, Dick Grayson. Dick lays out that he knows about the Rising and plants a bug in Lex's office. John goes to speak to the Senator, who is central to their plans, and he transforms into a massive monster who's being piloted by Bendix. Jay goes inside, disguised to stop the monster, but comes back out maskless, leading to what seems like a PR disaster. Pros are that we get a lot of espionage in this book overall. That makes a huge difference, especially when it's the focus of where the story's going. Cons are that it didn't really feel like this issue had a lot of purpose until the last few pages. I chalked that up to character development and different story beats being hit along the way that will probably pay off later, but it didn't feel necessary until late in the game to me. Finally here on the DC side, we have Wonder Woman number 788, Cisco mobilizes against Diana. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. Cisco is peddling a weird milk, and it's affecting men, causing them to protest uh, and hate Diana outside of the Hall of Justice. Things get out of hand here quickly, and a fight breaks out. Steve is poisoned by Dr. Poison, a move she then tries on Siegfried, but fails because it can't pierce his Asgardian skin. Things break up, 
and Diana's team regroups, learning about Cisco's Villainy Incorporated. Meanwhile, Cisco's management sends him a gift to show how pleased they are, and it's Dolos, the Duke of Deception. In Young Diana, she explores her adventurous and rebellious side. It leads to her cutting her own hair to save Antiope. Pros are again how this book has clear direction. It's a multi-layered problem that Diana can't just punch her way out of. She's in the sphere of public perception, which is a more difficult place to navigate. Cons are that while a notable villain, Cisco is not the one I figured to be giving Diana this level of fits. Also, I'm done with the second stories. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we're talking about these Marvel books, baby. Stick around. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're the hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health evaluation of comic book characters. We also chat with some of your favorite creators. Al Ewing. Erica Schultz. Gail Simone. Philip Kennedy Johnson. Chris Claremont. About their work on comics. So check out all our episodes at capesonthecouch.com and follow us at Capes on the Couch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hashtag Because Comics. Hey everyone, Jesse here from the Twisted Cape. I wanted to take a minute to give a huge thank you to all of you that have supported us over the years, both here on Mike's Thick Stack and on the Twistcast. If you haven't already, you'd be doing us a huge favor by rating both shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to be listening. And while you're dropping us that five-star rating, feel free to drop us a review letting us know what you like about the shows. Your feedback helps us to make the shows as fun as possible. All right, I've wasted enough of your time now. Back to the show. Yeah, we're back. Thanks for hanging out and sticking around, listening to stuff from us and our friends and all that good stuff. Hopefully you maybe take the opportunity to buy a little something from our T Public page. It's uh, it's good stuff. It's, uh, it's frequently on sale. Sometimes there's even free shipping, e- even if you live overseas. So maybe make sure you do that. Anywho, thanks so much for sticking around. And let's jump into the Marvel books now, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number four. Spidey escapes capture and goes ham. I give this a 4.5 out of 5. Our boy is in a dire straits after Tombstone has pounded on him and left him to get murdered by his goons. One of them turns and sets Spidey free. Kareem! Peter calls and warns Randy that Tombstone has his dad and then goes to save the innocents that he thinks are about to be gunned down. He tears through the hideout, taking down every single gangster he can find on his way to stop the fake Rose. Except, it's the real Rose, and he's just done all of Tombstone's work for him. Oh yeah, and he did have Robbie Robertson, but they were relaxing and enjoying a beverage together, discussing Randy and Janice's engagement. Pros are how this story showed how brutal Spidey can be, especially when he's on the ropes. Just an absolutely vicious issue. Also, how Tombstone has outmaneuvered Peter is incredible. Just masterful, and it makes the title so fun again. Cons are the open with MJ and Felicia to me. It almost doesn't make sense for them to be included in this issue. Moving on, we have a look at Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number one. Steve uncovers a mystery around his shield. I gave this a four out of five. A good chunk of the beginning of this sees Steve amongst the people before he uncovers a mystery. His friends discover an attack is coming, and Steve and Bucky mobilize. They face off with the Destroyer, uh, not the Asgardian one. As he's defeated, he tells Steve that it's not his symbol, it's theirs before he burns out from the inside. 
As they separate, it looks like Bucky has his own mission. And finally, this revolution is just getting started, it seems. Pros are how well I feel Steve does in this conspiracy slash espionage space, despite walking around dressed like a giant US flag. It adds so much gravitas to the book. Cons are that I'm a little scared that we're going back to an evil Bucky story, and I, I just don't need that again, you guys. I don't. Now we have a look at Fantastic Four, number 44. Reckoning War continues. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. This oversized issue is packed. The Reckoning have made their move on the Watchers, the Destroyer, Galactus Combo, uh, the Asgardian one, is zooming across the galaxy, and Marvel's first family is spread across the universe. Reed builds another forever gate as Franklin regains his power in the thought space. Doom teams with the Camorant against the Reckoning in the apex of reality. Uatu pleads his case with the Watchers as the Fantastic Four join Doom in battle. Silver Surfer gets his board sliced in two, and Ben squares up with Wrath again. Johnny shows up with his allies and fights the Destroyer Galactus. The team gets into several intense fights around the Ultimate Nullifier. Right as the issue ends, Reed activates the Nullifier to stop the Reckoning once and for all, seemingly killing himself. Pros are that, for all the words that just left my mouth, there's so much more going on. My god. How does an oversized issue feel this packed? Cons are that I really hope Reed isn't dead, nor anyone else in the Fantastic Four. I love them so much. Now we have a look at Immortal X-Men number 3, a deeper look at Raven and Irene. I gave this a 3.75 out of 5. This issue is all from Destiny's point of view, and it makes it more interesting since she can see the probabilities of the future. But interestingly, we get a lot of the past and the present. Destiny discovers that Sinister has cloned Moira and is using her powers to his advantage. We understand that Irene's love for Raven is deeper than we could have possibly imagined. This nugget makes it far more devastating when we find out that Raven doesn't really have any kind of future. Pros are how it finally feels like Mystique and Destiny have real purpose again in this title. It retroactively makes the previous issues with them in it better. Cons are how the petty squabbles really seem to take over and prevent the dissemination of important information. It's not quite a con, but I'm also hit or miss with the art in this issue. Some of the facial work is rad, and some isn't so good. It's just worth mentioning. Now we have Iron Man number 20, Tony comes back from rehab. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. Tony re-emerges from rehab and immediately gets busy. He proposes to Patsy, which she rejects eventually in this issue. He unveils his new supercomputer, which plays chess against Chet the Gorilla. He turns, of course, and decides to fight Tony after hacking his armor, rendering it mostly useless. We get Iron Man using his rollerblades in this issue. Just wild. It ends with Tony getting a call from Vic Martinelli, who he's ignored throughout the issue, telling Tony that he needs Tony's help and reveals 10 rings in a box. The real ones, not the stupid MCU rings. Pros are how even when Iron Man wins, he loses. I'm happy to ditch the constantly quippy version made popular by the MCU and allowing the guy to deal with his personal demons and get over his own ego, mostly. I feel like that's been a big part of this run. Cons are that for a futurist, Tony isn't so good at contingency plans. He should be way better at preparing than he actually is. 
Now we have a look at Knights of X number three. A critical moment happens as a team member seems to die. I gave this a 3.25 out of five. Saturnine and Shogo are watching the team as one of them are fated to die. Gambit, B, Megan, and the rest of their squad are doing the rescue thing, helping the mutants at the Crooked Market. Meanwhile, Betsy, Shatterstar, Richter, and the rest of that squad are in the land of vampires to free Death. Death agrees to help them, but will not leave. Both teams get into some fights, with Gambit's team fighting Merlin. It seems like Gambit is killed at the end of that fight. Pros are how much of a badass Gambit seems to go out as. This possible death affects so much, and it's crazy. If that's how he goes, it's insane that he goes this way. Cons are that, despite like half of the issue being in a land of vampires, there aren't nearly enough vampires for me. Now we move on to Moon Knight number 12. Moon Knight, Zodiac, Tragedy. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. Moon Knight rolls on Zodiac and his gang with a crew of undead Moon Knights. But after Zodiac has shot through Reese and killed Soldier, who is dressed as Moon Knight, Moon Knight's forces go to war on the streets with Zodiac's forces. Moon Knight definitely saws someone in half with a chainsaw during this fight. Pretty rad. Hunter's Moon talks to the undead fists of Khonshu and gets them to leave peacefully. As Zodiac tries to slip away, Reese goes after him and Mark steps in to kill Zodiac. As Mark tries to do the deed, Steven emerges and introduces himself to Reese, leaving Zodiac alive for now. Pros are the pacing, the art, the story, and the use of supporting characters. It's really good and even better on subsequent readings. Cons for me are with Steven's emergence. After the show, I have a weirdly odd taste in my mouth around this type of switch, but if anybody can work, make it work, it's definitely close personal friend Jen McKay. That joke's for you, Alex. Now we're gonna move on to our second Moon Knight title of this episode, Moon Knight Black, White, and Blood number two, the second book in this miniseries. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Our second in the series at second Moon Knight title of this episode, which is an absolute treat for yours truly. For starters, we have three stories, one of Mark seeking to be free of Moon Knight in Egypt, one of the altars in a diner, and one of Mark facing another mercenary from his past. If I'd rank them, I'd go Diner, then Mercenary Story, and then Egypt Story. The Diner one is just so cool from the perspective that you get the three altars in Kanchu talking about how they use the body and how it's been injured. I really like the art style of the Mercenary Story. It's just super clean and really brutal. The first story, I wasn't so crazy about. I didn't like the art style, and the story just didn't grab me. Pros of the art and how much it really stands out in issues like this. I also love how creative the creators have been. Cons are how the first story now in two straight issues haven't really done anything for me despite the huge names that are on those stories. Next up we have a look at New Mutants number 26, Magic Meets Her Older Self. I gave this a 3.25 out of 5. The team meets an older version of Ileana who has Warlock as an arm since she lost hers. This version is still an incredible badass. The New Mutants with two Ilianas battle the demons who have been infected with Technovirus. Older Ileana ends up challenging and fighting Sim, and she wins. Ileana gets a new sword, as young Ileana struggles with captivity at the end of the issue. Pros are the art style for the series, as well as centering the story on magic. Cons are the inclusion of these young magic storyline stuff. I'm not sure of the purpose, really, overall. Now we have a look at Savage Spider-Man number 4, Hyperlogical Spidey Tackles the Immaculatum. I gave this a 3 out of 5. Peter prepares, upgrades his stuff, 
gets to work. Zemo finds himself in trouble as Spidey executes his plan, which is really the bad guys making dumb moves and taking themselves out. Spidey tricks the Immaculatum into launching far sooner than they ever wanted to in order to reprogram the missiles that have been fired. This does move as fast as nonstop the series predecessor did for sure, and this issue is definitely packed with action. Pros include these people getting outworked by Peter, who has unlocked the potential of his big brain. Also, screw you Zemo, and I love that you're getting yours. Cons are around this version of Peter basically being rather unlikable. Now we have a look at Wolverine number 22, the Deadpool adventure continues. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Wolverine, Maverick, and Deadpool get mixed up in this danger story. Wolverine escapes capture by chopping Wade into pieces and uses him to unlock the cell and goes after Maverick, Weasel, and the helmet. Wolverine does some action movie type shit and gets the helmet as Wade shows up with Blind Al. They eventually get directed to the old school back in New York. Pros start with the action and brutality. This issue doesn't feel as silly as it could. Cons are that it feels like Maverick is dealt with fairly easily and that Weasel just fucks right off after being pushed off a stage into a crowd. Last two books here, we have X-Men number 12, the girls rap in space while the boys face Dr. Stasis. I gave this a four out of five. Scott and Sink deal with Dr. Stasis who claims to be the original Nathaniel Essex. He escapes while the girls on Game World deal with this Cordyceps Jones nonsense. Honestly, the way they operate should scare the living hell out of anyone who comes across them in a negative way. Sink comes clean to Ben Urich about stealing his memories and restores them as he finishes the story he was working on about the mutants and resurrection. Some of the team needs to move on while others look to stay on. As the issue ends, it turns out Stasis is working with Modok and Orcus. Pros are how this feels like the end of an era without feeling like the end of a story. There's a lot going on here and it seems to just be the tip of the iceberg. Also, huge fan of this art on this issue. It just comes across so good. Cons are the stuff on Game World. Outside of being a massive flex, it doesn't seem like it's as important as the main narrative right now. Finally, we take a look at X-Men Red number 3. A lot of challenge matches on Araco. I gave this a 4.25 out of 5. Cable is resurrected at the start as Manifold proposes he and Proudstar join him to talk about Brand. Meanwhile, Vulcan has challenged Tarn for the Seed of Loss. Storm has a tense conversation with Brand and then meets up with Eric and Roberto. Roberto outwardly challenges that Magneto desires peace and says that he'll always do what's necessary. Everyone sails in to watch Vulcan fight Tarn, and Tarn brutally murders Vulcan. I mean, brutally murders Vulcan. I don't like him, but damn, not like that. Tarn gloats as his powers return, asking if anyone else wants to challenge him for the seat of loss, and helmetless Magneto steps up. When Tarn accepts, Roberto bets Iska the Unbeaten that Tarn wins, leading Iska the Unbeaten to get furious at Roberto because her gift is that she can't lose. As the battle starts, Magneto drops the helmet on Tarn's head and then crushes the head, taking the seat of loss. Pros are how brutal this issue was. A couple of huge character deaths that weren't soft at all. Cons are how the espionage stopped quick as the violence took center stage. I would have preferred to walk and chew gum at the same time. All right, everybody, we're going to hit the weekly ranking. There's 
23 books on here. We're going to go 7, 8, 8. Buckle up. We're going to move quick. Stick with me. Here we go in 3, 2, 1. At number one, we had Amazing Spider-Man number four. At number two, we had Moon Knight number 12. At number three, we had Fantastic Four number 44. At number four, we had X-Men Red number three. At number five, we had Batman the Knight number six. At number six, we had Nightwing number 93. And at number seven, we had Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number one. From here, we have at eight, X-Men number 12. At nine, Immortal X-Men number three. At 10, Superman Son of Kal-El number 12. At number 11, we have Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number 2. At 12, we have Batgirls, number 7. At 13, we have Wolverine, number 22. At 14, we have Batman Superman, World's Finest, number 4. At 15, we have Knights of X, number 3. And at 16, we have New Mutants, number 26. Bringing up the bottom tier here, we have at number 17, Iron Man, number 20. At number 18, Wonder Woman, number 788. At number 19, Savage Spider-Man number 4. At number 20, I Am Batman number 10. Number 21, we have Dark Crisis Young Justice number 1. At number 22, Flash 783. And in the bottom spot, Future State Gotham number 14. As we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, which is very possible, hit us up on Twitter at SpiderMike29 or at The Twisted Cape. Looking ahead to next week, I'm looking forward to reading from Marvel, Black Panther number 7, She-Hulk number 4, and The Variants number 1. From DC, Batman Catwoman number 12, Batman number 125, and Dark Crisis number 2. Follow us on all socials, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, all at the Twisted Cape, no spaces, and a link is in the show notes. We do a weekly show on YouTube, and we stream on Twitch at least once a week. As far as all the others, if you follow us, we'll follow you in return. If you really like us and our shows, feel free to grab some of our merch from Public, which has a link in the show notes as well. Finally, feel free to shoot us feedback on this show to thetwistedcape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, I'm Nintendo switching up the flow like I be glitching. Stay safe, wear a mask, please get that vaccine, and most importantly, stay twisted. Fix that.